he, Jesus, opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for, th for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And that is Matthew chapter 5, verses 2 to 12. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Bridge Radio. And we are coming at you from the great state of Texas. I am your host, A.W. Varela. And no, I am alone again, solo. Mr. Steve is in uh, Michigan right now, um, visiting family and taking a vacation. So uh, it is uh, my third week ro rolling solo, but uh, he should be back soon. Um, thank you, everybody, for uh, joining in today. Uh, happy Friday. I hope everybody is uh, doing well out there all over the world. Um, just thank you for tuning in again today. Uh, just uh, news um, again. Uh, we are moving uh, forward with the building. The building is closed. We It's already purchased. Uh, plans and uh, blueprints are already drawn up. And uh, we are beginning construction soon here. So that's pretty exciting. Uh, again, hopefully uh, we are in the new facility here in the next uh, several months. Uh, again, I just want to thank everybody who's out there who keeps listening and uh, supports the ministry. Um, we got a, just a lot of things just uh, uh, coming up this year uh, as everything is just reopening up. Uh, it is summer. Uh, just excited to see everybody's been going on vacation, uh, enjoying family time, seeing family members that they haven't seen in a while. Uh, I'll be going. I'll be heading out to Chicago uh, here the following week, uh, so I'll get to uh, visit some family and friends that I have not seen in a while. So I am super, super excited about that. Um, so uh, today's guest, guys, we have uh, Pastor Jonathan K. Dotson. Uh, we're going to be talking about his book, Our Good Crisis, Overcoming the Moral Chaos with the B Attitudes. Uh, came across uh, this uh, book. Uh, I asked a uh, 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 Pastor uh, Jonathan Dotson, if he would come on and do a interview with uh, his book, Gospel-Centered uh, Discipleship, and uh, he said yes, uh, but uh, we wanted to touch on his latest book, so we're super excited uh, to have him on. So, um, yes, I'm looking forward to that greatly. Please don't forget to subscribe to Apple, Android, Google, and Stitcher Radio, and please visit our website at bridgemenlaredo.com. And we are also now on Spotify. So check us out there. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's get this uh, podcast started. Jonathan K. Dotson is the founding pastor of City Life Church in Austin, Texas, 
and founder of Gospel-Centered Discipleship. He is the author of several books, including The Unbelievable Gospel, Raised, and Here in the Spirit. Welcome, Jonathan Dotson, to Bridge Radio for the first time. Hey, thank you, W. It's a privilege to join you and appreciate your ministry. Wow. Uh, thank you for coming on. Just uh, I was really excited uh, when uh, you suggested to uh, let's go go over your latest book. I know that uh, possibly here next year we'll, we'll go through your other book, Gospel-Centered Discipleship, which uh, I went through with my elders uh, at church, and it was a just a blessing uh, to go through that book. Uh, it's one of the things mm. that uh, our, our church was hammering away, you know, uh, as our Lord uh, commanded us to uh, make disciples. So it was just really, really good good to go through your book. But today we're going to be going through your latest book, Our Good Crisis, <laughs> Our Good Crisis, Overcoming uh, Moral Chaos with the Beatitudes. Uh, but Jonathan, before we begin, can you just please share a little bit about yourself and how God drew you to saving faith? Uh, certainly. Uh, I grew up in England as a little kid. My mother's British. My father's American. Uh, and the, my parents met in a Bible school in the Rolling Green Hills of the Lake District. So they were Christians. Uh, we moved to the States when I was seven. And it was shortly after that that I uh, was at home and I walked up to my dad. And uh, well, actually, there was someone, someone who was reading the Bible in our house. And I asked them what they were reading. They were, said they were reading the Bible. And I said, Well, why are you reading the Bible? And they said, Well, I'm reading about. Uh, Jesus. And I said, well, why would you want to learn about Jesus? And I said, you know, maybe you should ask your dad. And we literally stepped out on the back porch, and my, and my dad explained the gospel to me that Christ had uh, come to earth, that the perfect life died in my place to reconcile me to God, and that the God of the universe uh, wanted to know me, wanted to have me as his very own son. And that little seven-year-old seven boy was just blown away that the God of the universe was interested in me, so interested that he would give a son, Jesus Christ, for my sins and to draw me into his family. So uh, my heart was captivated by that, that God who on that day adopted me into his family and, and showered me with his perfect love. And uh, I'm so grateful to be his free and loved son. Wow. Wow. That is absolutely amazing. So, uh, Jonathan, what led you to write a good crisis? Cause you know, just even just starting to read your book and the, the preface, I was like, wow, this is, this is where we're living at right now. So, um, mm -hmm. as, as you stated in your book and, and, and I'm just putting these things together just as I'm started to read your book and I was like, just blown away. So what led you to write a, a good crisis? Well, it was written before uh, COVID pandemic. It was written before the race riots in Minneapolis that spread across our country. And it was written in response to what I saw as a fracturing of our country mm. uh, politically, spiritually, and morally. Mm. So um, <clears throat> I, I saw that in my own congregation with people who were wrestling through questions uh, around race, sex, gender. Um, I saw it uh, in our own city and the tension between our governor, who is uh, conservative, and our mayor, 
in our city who is liberal, constantly fighting back and forth on varieties of issues, homelessness, gun control. So, you know, I just kind of saw saw what was happening uh, culturally, and then I saw my own congregation people who I love really, really struggling to to make sense of how to respond to these issues. Mm. So the crisis was there before it all really flared up of the last, you know, year and a half. And I became persuaded that there was even a deeper crisis than the one that most people are up in arms about or, you know, down in the dumps about, that, whether it's race, sex, or gender. So <clears throat> there's, a, there's a crisis underneath the crisis, if yeah. you will. Um, <clears throat> The whole concept of a crisis, the Greek word means to judge or judgment. And if you get back to the, the basic etymology of the word, um, there's been a loss of a sense of what is right and wrong, what is good and true. And there's a lot of kind of pontificating. Um, so there seems to be a crisis beneath the crisis. That is, how do I respond to all these things that show up on my phone? Every day we've got a breaking news, you know, kind of crisis, a sex crisis, a political crisis, economic crisis, uh, college testing crisis, you know, uh, Me Too crisis. But if we saw something pop up that said, you know, global breaking news, there's a moral crisis in every country, uh, on every continent in all the world, we can keep scrolling. And yet beneath all those concerns, most of those concerns is a deeper moral crisis. So lust leads to uh, sexual assault, um, <clears throat> greed leads to financial mismanagement and housing crisis. Um, thirst for power and pride leads to a lot of our political uh, crises. So I wanted to help us address the, the crisis around us, but at the same time go beneath it to really get to the source of it. And that's the crisis. Is, the crises we're all very uh, opinionated about. The seeds of those exist in every single person's heart. Lust, mm. greed, pride, envy, you name it. Yeah. So, so um, why is a moral crisis more threatening than any other crisis, uh, as you're just explaining? But can we just touch on that just a little bit uh, more? Yeah. I. Well, I, I wouldn't quite say it like that, that. A moral crisis is more threatening than any other crisis okay. because... Um, because some of these crises are moral in nature. Mm. So uh, so the, the actual sexual assault, that is a moral issue. Uh, racism, that's a moral issue. But there's also a lack of kind of um, personal virtue in mm. how we deal with moral issues. So uh, the crisis beneath the crisis has to do with how, not, not only what do we believe is good or bad, but um, how we respond to what is good or bad, hmm. um, who we are as in our response. So it, it's all thoroughly uh, spiritual in nature. So, <clears throat> yeah, I, I think it's it's important to acknowledge these are ethical issues that we're concerned about in our country at large. Uh, but beneath them, there is a personal morality or a personal lack of virtue that leads to outrage, that leads to um, hypocrisy, that leads to uh, self-righteousness and judgment and abandoned friendships and 
parents, adult parents and children not speaking anymore. Um, so there's, there's a fracturing underneath all of these issues in our relationships that is also moral in nature. So there's, there's something that needs to be addressed in the heart in order to, A, address the issues at large, but B, to do so in a way that's filled with the, the, the virtues of Jesus. Mm. So, uh, so let's talk about that. Uh, in your book, uh, you start out um, with the Beatitudes uh, in chapter two. You, you begin in poor in spirit uh, in an age of the big me. Uh, what made you want to bring in the Beatitudes and, and, and use the Beatitudes for uh, our current cultural crisis? If, that, if, 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 if I'm saying that correctly. Yeah, no, I mean, we're all looking for some kind of moral ballast. We're looking for some kind of ethical direction in these dizzying times. And so uh, as you think about the great moral documents throughout history, um, there's Hammurabi's Code, um, the ancient Near East. There's the Ten Commandments. Um, there's the Beatitudes of Christ. Uh, there's, you know, portions of the Quran. There's um, the fivefold uh, noble path of, of Buddhism, but what, what, one that is really universally recognized, the most famous sermon in the world is, is the Beatitudes. And that's recognized by Christian and non-Christian alike, and that was important to me. Um, <clears throat> even Richard Dawkins said, who's no friend to Christianity, said that the uh, Beatitudes were morally, ethically way ahead of their time, and uh, he had regard for them. Uh, so this is this is the Jesus' greatest sermon. Uh, people recognize its moral uh, value, whether they're Christians or not. And so, if we want to address a real moral ethical issues in our world, well, I couldn't think of a better place to start than than uh, you know Jesus, the great moral philosopher, uh, the the great um, claim to be the Son of God and live the life that was admirable. Uh, by by all kinds of people, what better place to start? <laughs> so, yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, you know, uh, we did our pre-recording for uh, the podcast, and I usually start the podcast with uh, a, a verse. And I actually read the Beatitudes just because we're, we'll be talking about the Beatitudes in your book. And I mean, and it's so true, and especially in just this time that uh, uh, we live in. Everybody has their own opinions about uh, everything and their opinions is their opinion and it, it, it's okay uh, whether it's correct or not, whether it's true or not, whether it's factual or not. You know, if it's my truth, it, it's good. Uh, I mean, we, we definitely are in a in, in point of time where it's just very just uh just nutty. <laughs> I'm lost for words for lack of a better word. It's just crazy. And, uh, and, and it's just, uh, refreshing to, to see that, uh, people like yourself are writing books like this, that people may, you know, get encouraged and, and, and just, uh, uh, look at this, uh, look at everything that's going on and, and just focusing on Christ. But, um, as, uh, out, out of the Beatitudes, do you have a favorite one, uh, that uh, you enjoyed in in your book that was just you know when you were writing this was just like wow this is this is amazing just comparing it to where we're at 
in our culture. Yeah, they're, they're all excellent, uh, <laughs> as you know, and uh, it's hard to pick one. But, you know, I, I really have a hard time getting past the first one. Mm. Uh, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Mm. Um, <clears throat> this is kind of the gateway drug into the rest of the Beatitudes. If you don't get this one, uh, you won't, you won't, you won't get the rest. Mm. Yeah. And, and the reason for that is that the poor in spirit, it a, appeals to kind of a posture that is absolutely critical for a life of virtue. Mm. Uh, there's some debate over what it, the, the phrase means. The gospel of Luke, it's Jesus says, blessed are the poor. And the gospel of Matthew, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And some, some would say it's you interpret it attitudinally. It's just having a spiritual uh, spiritual poverty, you know, to think of yourself less or to mm. think of yourself humbly, uh, to have an attitude of uh, kind of an impoverished uh, attitude. Um, others would take it more literally, like that, that this is a person who's concerned with the poor, with mm. the marginalized, with the downcast. And I think uh, you really, if you're going to do justice to this passage, this this particular beatitude, it's really both because it's poor in spirit. It's not just the poor. It's not just in spirit. It's both. So there's a sense in which a person who is truly poor in spirit will, yes, be be humble and be meek. We see that in the later beatitudes, blessed are the meek for theirs, uh, for they shall inherit the earth. Uh, but there's also a sense in which he's speaking to people who are marginalized. Um, he's speaking to people who are economically downtrodden, people who are brokenhearted and uh, snubbed. So there's a sense in which uh, this, I maybe put it this way, a person who is poor in spirit will not only think lowly of themselves, but abundantly of others. Mm. There's a sense in which someone who is poor in spirit is they are generous, with those around them with what they have, and they are humble. And, uh, you know, who doesn't like a humble, generous person? I mean, those people are fun to be around. They, <laughs> they, they show interest in you. You know, they ask you questions. They're kind of self-forgetful. And a poor-in-spirit person is someone who is more interested in you than they are in themselves. Mm. Um, they, they want to understand what makes you tick. They want to under, understand uh, your challenges. They want to they want to love you. They're, they've kind of forgotten their problems, their issues. They're so humble. They're interested in you. We love, the challenge, though, is to be that person. <laughs> we all like being around them. But, you know, how do you, how do you become someone who is humble and generous, who is poor in spirit? And uh, Jesus says, "Blessed of course, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is something that is grandiose. Uh, the kingdom of heaven is the rule and reign of God in Christ over all of time and history and space, uh, we there's a king, a king of all kings that rules mm-hmm. that kingdom. So I think in order to be poor in spirit, it's not to think of yourself less or to think of yourself negatively, uh, but, but to think of the king of kings more. You know, when we get around like a LeBron, if you're going to basketball and see LeBron James, you get a little bit nervous, you know, a bit starstruck, right? You mm-hmm. feel a little bit... You definitely wouldn't think, you know, I've got game, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, you get around people, you know, uh, actors, musicians who really have a glory about them, a glory to what they do and excellence. We kind of feel a little bit inferior and we're totally okay with it. Right. You know, yeah. It's like that there's, there's something appropriate to it. Um, <clears throat> when I go to the Colorado in the summer, I walk out the backyard 
where we stay and I see 14,000 foot peaks. And I just stand there for minutes and just take it in and I feel so tiny. But at the same time, I feel so lifted up. And, and this is what happens. This is how you become poor in spirit. You find someone who is greater than you and more gracious than you. Mm. You keep your eyes on Jesus, who is the Christ and the Lord, the King of Kings. You keep your eyes on him and his glory, it'll humble you. But he's also the Christ. He'll lift you up. He'll forgive you. Uh, so I think if, if we don't have that kind of operating in our hearts, it's very hard to get on living a life of mercy, to be a peacemaker. All of that will be kind of hamster wheel, moral spinning kind of effort if we don't have a spirit that's enamored with the greatness of God in Christ. Yeah, and no, Romans is very clear that he's revealed himself through nature, and 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 I think that uh, we have that awe effect. I mean, I'm a, I love mountains, by the way, and I've been to Colorado, <laughs> and man, it is yeah. so beautiful. I mean, I don't know. Uh, again, like when I see that, like you just described. I'm in awe. Uh, the same thing when I look mm -hmm. at stars, especially when you're in Colorado and mm -hmm. the sky is clear at nighttime and you just see the stars just all together yeah. and wondrous. And you're just, uh, I just feel you're right. You just feel so inferior. But at the same time, just you sit there and say, man, Lord, you are creator and, uh, and give him thanks for what he has revealed to us because, uh, man, uh, and, and if anybody hasn't been to, uh, to the mountains, go, go, go somewhere where there's some mountains. Cause it's, yeah. it's absolutely amazing. So, yeah. uh, Jonathan, can we just, uh, talk about, uh, uh, the Beatitude, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Mm -hmm. That is chapter five in your book that says righteousness is in an age of values. Uh, can we just talk a little bit about that chapter? Sure. Uh, yeah. So this is um, this. So every Beatitude has kind of a moral punch to it. Mm -hmm. How can I be more in spirit? How can I be merciful? How can I be righteous? It's kind of a, a resting you know, it's like, how in the world can I live these? It's and, and I think on one hand, Jesus preached these to humble us. Uh, to, yes, to give us a moral compass. Yes, to, to, to point us to true virtue. But, to, you know, you, re, you re, get past one or two and you're just kind of three, you might give up. It's mm. just like, how do, you, <laughs> how do I live a merciful, poor in spirit, righteous, peacemaking life? I just feel so inadequate. And I think that is in part by design. It's the way we're meant to flourish. It's yeah. the way the world uh, flourishes. And yet all of us struggle to mm. live this way. Yeah. And that's why every beatitude has a kind of part two, you know. Yeah. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Uh, blessed are those, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The part two, the second half of those beatitudes is what motivates us or empowers us to actually live out the virtue. So in this case, it's to, it's to be satisfied. So if I hunger and thirst for righteousness, if I live a life that is, uh, the word righteousness has to do with living a just life, mm. be, treating people justly, uh, but it also has to do with moral rectitude, to, to live um, kind of moral, morally pure. Mm. Um, so you've got both of those kind of things going on there. If I If I pursue that, I will be satisfied. Mm. 
there's a sense, there's a promise of satisfaction. There's a promise of contentment, of personal joy that will come if, if I live this way. So um, the challenge is to hunger and thirst for it. You know, hunger and thirst uh, means, you know, if you've ever gone for a run and uh, you come to the end, you're kind of panting, you know, you're kind of dry heaving and you get a big drink of water. It feels so refreshing, you know, uh, but there's pain involved to get there. Uh, if you fasted or if you've missed a meal and you start to feel your stomach grumble, you know, you have some hunger pains and uh, it feels great to eat that first meal. But there's pain in getting there. I think that's built into the imagery here. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Um, but there's a sense in which we've, we've set ourselves to it so much that we kind of, it's, there's, a, there's a pain, there's a, there's, a, there's a longing, there's a deep desire to be righteous. Mm-hmm. And um, that, that deep desire doesn't originate with us. It originates with God. Um, I wake up and I do not always hunger and thirst for righteousness. I need to turn to the one who satisfies me. So the Psalms say, Psalmist says in the morning, uh, satisfy me in the morning with your loving kindness, O Lord, that I might shout and sing for joy. Psalm 90. Um, if I am waking up and seeking the satisfaction of God, this will compel me to live like God, to imitate God, to reflect Christ, to be just and to be moral to to live a righteous life so in in a sense this uh particular um beatitude is driven by being satisfied being satisfied with god in christ yeah isn't that so true uh i'm i'm just even thinking before uh god drew himself uh to me um i'm from chicago um and um and for our listeners they know my testimony he just broke me down in my Chicago apartment and, and because I was, uh, you know, I, I search still, uh, to be satisfied because he's the only one that satisfied, like you said, uh, but before, you know, my heart was empty. Um, everything I was trying to fill, fill with just, uh, the world, you know, uh, money, sex, uh, um, prominence, you know, and, and none of that filled me. And then, you know, he drew himself to me and man, um, as, uh, everything just changed. And even now, as I continue to hunger and thirst, the only satisfaction that I get is, uh, through, through God to Christ, uh, through his word. Um, because, uh, you're right. There's just so many distractions, uh, so many things that just want to, uh, you know, just turn away from him, you know, even as uh, Christians and that constant battle that we just struggle with as, you know, um, definitely there. Yeah. And one, one of the challenges to this is that if righteousness is both justice and morality, mm. um, uh, if you don't have something else satisfying your soul, then you'll look to both one of those for satisfaction. Mm. How am I performing in justice? Am I doing enough for the oppressed? Am I doing enough for the marginalized, for those that experience, you know, racial injustice? Uh, You know, am I doing enough? And if you feel like you are, then you're going to be very high on yourself. You're going to be satisfied with yourself. But that will bring a bit of smugness with it. 
because that's that's where you're satisfied it'll it'll tempt you to look down the nose at other people who aren't as just who aren't as committed as you are the same thing's true with the other half of righteousness morality you 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 may you know uh, commit yourself to sexual purity you may commit yourself to uh, being a person who always tells the truth you know these things that are in the bible they're moral things but if that's where you're finding satisfaction, my goodness, I'm I'm really telling the truth. I'm living a pure life. I'm keeping my nose out. I'm not looking at porn. If this is if this is where you're satisfied by your own moral life, well, then you'll also look down the nose at people who don't. You'll have impatience for them. There's a kind of self righteousness that attaches to both justice and to morality if you don't have another place to find satisfaction. But when we're satisfied with all that God for us is for us in Christ, we lose that, we shed the self-righteousness. And the reason for that is the only way we're satisfied is by admitting we need to be satisfied, to say, I'm a sinner. I'm broken. I need the love of God in Christ to forgive me my sins day after day. My goodness, how could I get haughty and self-righteous? The very beginning point of my faith is that I'm in need, that I need to be satisfied, that I'm inadequate on my own. And so there's a sense in which the satisfaction that we seek in Christ, it kind of disintegrates the self-righteousness that attaches to justice and morality, and it produces a very different kind of person who is also engaged in justice and morality, but not for kind of self-aggrandizing reasons, but because of, because of Christ-promoting reasons, because of Christ-enjoying reasons. So the, the way in which Jesus motivates us is a total game changer and as we talk about the difficult difficult issues and justice and ethical issues we do so with a kind of kindness and patience and love because we're experiencing the kindness and patience of love in christ yeah i mean i can't help but think about the pharisees you know and, and jesus always getting after them because that's exactly who they were you know, as you just described, they're they're just religious people and um, look down mm-hmm. on everybody else. You know, yet their 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 works were were filthy, and uh, there were whitewashed mm-hmm. stones on the uh, uh, tombs on the outside, and just uh, yeah, dark on the inside. It, it, it's <laughs> wow, yeah, and 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 again, and those things don't save you. You know, those acts mm-hmm. of righteousness those moral works they won't save you only christ will wow thank you for that i that was just a great explanation um jonathan uh, as we are in a cultural crisis what opportunities do we have as a church well um we have an opportunity uh the way i tend to look at these things you know if there if, if our society is putting forward some particular concerns sexual assault me too racism, uh, you know, racial injustice, two very uh, popular ethical topics today. As a Christian, I want to begin, I kind of think about it in terms of arc, uh, affirm, redeem, confront. I want to begin not by confronting the world and telling them off. Um, I want to begin by affirming wherever there is goodness, truth, and beauty, that goodness, truth, and beauty ultimately belongs to God. Mm-hmm. So if that is operating in, in our world, we can draw attention to it and affirm it because it is 
it is a reflection of the character of God. Uh, so uh, God himself is a warrior who fights for the oppressed. He is close to the downcast and the brokenhearted. He is, a, he is someone with profound concern for those who experience injustice. So I can affirm the concerns for people being mistreated based on the color of based on, on the color of their skin or their, their religion or whatever, that there shouldn't be unjust treatment of people. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone is made in God's image and is inherently, you know, filled with, with an inherent dignity because they have been made in this image. So, <clears throat> but there's also times in which you need to confront uh, those issues. So it, it, it may be an important issue, but it's not the ultimate issue. Mm-hmm. Um, the ultimate issue is uh, is where we stand with the author of all goodness, truth, and beauty. Uh, the ultimate issue is uh, who's getting the glory for that issue. Mm. Uh, me, my organization, my church, or Christ. And so this kind of comes back to what we were talking about before, and that if we are walking closely with Jesus, if we are being satisfied by him, not our performance in justice and morality, this will shape the way in which we talk with others with whom we disagree. Uh, to get to another beatitude, we'll be peacemakers, not uh, church dividers. Mm. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Listen, if you're a son or daughter of God, and you are perfectly loved, adopted into his family, wildly forgiven, you know, why in the world would you turn around and divide and hate and, and um, demean others? Mm. When, when to become a son or daughter of God, you were wildly loved, accepted, embraced. So the more we lean into the gospel of adoption, sons and daughters perfectly loved and welcomed into God's family, the more that we live out of that, the more we will reflect God in the way that we engage and debate in these issues. And that's a, that's a contribution the church has that frankly no one else can really contribute because you, because no one else has a source of satisfaction, of approval, of joy, of love that doesn't go up and down with your performance. Only the gospel gives you that. So the church shouldn't be a um, bigoted, divisive, um, angry, filled with outrage kind of community, although there's times for speaking loudly about things that are wrong. We should be kind of a moral leaven a presence of peace, long-suffering, patient, uh, kind, gentle. Uh, if we talked about the issues that are in front of our world with that kind of virtue, with that kind of humility, that would point people to the Christ that we say we believe. So <clears throat> the church has an opportunity to embody the gospel as we talk about very difficult uh, fracturing issues. Yeah, wow. Absolutely. Uh, how, how, how much more united we can be for sure, uh, when we do practice those things. And, um, mm-hmm. especially, you know, we, we call our, ourselves, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ, sons and daughters. Uh, you know, we are a family and for our listeners, you know, uh, around the globe, we have a worldwide listenership. You know, I am your brother in Christ, whether you are in South America, Africa, um, Europe, wherever you are, Canada, uh, Australia, <laughs> you know, um, when 
I, I definitely, you know, the last uh, uh, several years has been have been thinking of that more and more about that we are part of a family, and 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 trying to do a better job to to think of my brothers and sister in Christ like a real family. We always say it, but we never act like it, especially when we start you know, squabbling amongst each mm-hmm. other. Right. And, you know, mm-hmm. um, and then we just, you know, and, 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 you know, families fight, but we, we come back together, but man, like, um, you're, you're my brother in Christ, Jonathan, you know, we will spend mm-hmm. eternity together with our Lord and savior, Jesus Christ. And just having an internal perspective, that is so cool and awesome. Like mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm just like, I'm trying to, you know, like, that's cool, guys. Like, we'll be forever and ever with our Lord and Savior, no matter what happens to us on, on this earth. You know, whatever pain it is, uh, we, we we need to have that eternal perspective for sure. Wow. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jonathan, before yeah. we start closing out the pa- podcast, is there anything else you would like to, to add? Well, as you're talking about family, it's a beautiful concept. And some people, some listeners may not. Uh, have a positive view of family because of their own broken yes. family experience. Yes. Um, but that, but even that struggle points, even that perhaps cynicism about family points to the fact that deep down inside we long to experience true family. Mm. We're made for it. Yeah. We have a heavenly Father, mm. and He, unlike our earthly Father, has loved us upon pain of death of his own son. He, he loves us uh, perfectly, flawlessly, deeply, profoundly. Yeah. And I think it's important for us in a, uh, a broken world to, to be reminded to let, to let the God, the, the ultimate father, redefine and, and redeem our experiences, our broken family experiences. Because if, if we don't open up to him and, 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 confess our struggles to enjoy his love and to trust him, then we won't be filled with that in order to love people as brothers and sisters. Amen. And so that, that's, an, I think, an important um, thing to, to take into account. Yeah. Um, so I think this is a... You know, per- another, oh, sorry, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Well, I was going to go in a slightly different direction, so if you wanted to continue on that. Yeah, let's, let's go ahead. Well, I was just thinking one of the challenges to live out of this... Uh, you know, this adoptive love that we have in, in, in Christ is that we are in a hyper-individualistic age. Mm. So even though we are Christians, it's very tempting to find our worth in our individual causes, mm. in our individual pet passions. And we, so we may be brothers and sisters in Christ, but I operate more like an individual than a blood relative and so what what gets me amped up what gives me significance is how effective i am or how committed i am to this particular social cultural issue or cause and when that happens it ruptures the love that we have for one another as brothers and sisters in christ and it displaces that deep love and acceptance that we share in him and, and, and in a sense, we begin to try to save ourselves instead of enjoying the salvation of Christ, to save ourselves through our own 
cultural knowledge, our social performance, our justice uh, act, active, activity. And so I think this is something that we really, I struggle, you know, with this to, to not be primarily defined as an individual, as a writer or as a pastor by roles that I have, but by being a son of, of, of my heavenly father who loves me and loves everyone else just as much. Mm-hmm. And to relate to them as family, to sacrifice for them, to serve them. And I, I think the more you get into your own platform, to your own pet issues, and the, and the, the, the less you are close to that identity in Christ, the more tempting it is to judge, to divide, um, and to really not treat the church like a family. Mm. Wow. Yeah, so true. Uh, again, this is why it's uh, so important to stay focus on the mission that our Lord and Savior gave us, you know, um, it's so true. Uh, well, Jonathan, uh, as we land the plane, um, uh, Romans ten fourteen <laughs> says, how would they, uh, how would they call on him who they have not believed and how would they believe in him who have they not heard and how would they hear without a preacher? Jonathan, can you please share the gospel with our worldwide audience this morning? Well, certainly, I feel like I've shared the gospel several times uh, in our conversation. <laughs> you have, yes. Uh, <laughs> um, we, we've, you know, the gospel comes in many forms. There's the gospel of adoption that, though we were strangers and did not belong at the table of Christ, God sent His own Son to die for our sins and to bring us into His presence to give us a seat at the table to enjoy the fine food of His love and his grace and his acceptance to be adopted into his family so that though we did not belong in Christ, we forever belong. Wow. Amen. Well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, please go out and get this book, Our Good Crisis, Overcoming Moral Chaos with the Beatitudes. Again, by Jonathan K. Dotson by IVP Press. Uh, Guys, this is you can knock this book out quick. Uh, I think it's 197 uh, pages. Uh, you will be thoroughly, thoroughly blessed by going through this book. Jonathan, where can our listeners find you if you want to be found and where they can find a book besides here at Bridge Ministry? Uh, it's a, it's in Barnes & Noble. It's uh, online at Amazon.com or ChristianBooks.com. Um and uh, I have a blog, you know, Jonathan I'm more active, perhaps on Twitter, Jonathan underscore Dodson, and um, I don't have Facebook. But yeah, thank you for having me. I enjoyed getting into these issues with you, brother, and I hope it's been a blessing to to your audience. Yeah, absolutely. And and you know, uh, for our listeners, uh, there's so much more in the book. Obviously, we can't talk about everything. You know, we want you to go get the book and read it. You know, so we don't want you to just listen to this podcast and say, I, I, I'm good. We want you to go get out the book. So we're not going <laughs> to reveal everything here. So, uh, so, so please, please go, go get the book. Uh, thank you, Jonathan, for coming on. And hopefully next year we can have you on for, uh, your other book, uh, um, uh, gospel centered discipleship. Um, and, and, 
please, uh, uh, please, for our listeners, look out for that next year. It, you know, and it, if you guys can go get the book and read it before we do the podcast, uh, especially uh, for uh, people in leadership and, and churches. But it's for everybody. But you know, I, I was I was definitely blessed uh, because of it. All right. Wonderful. Well, thank you. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that concludes this week's episode again. Um, with Jonathan K. Dotson and his book, Our Good Crisis, Overcoming Moral Chaos with the Beatitudes by IVP Press. You know, um, man, the book was just absolutely just great to read. You know, the things that Jonathan was talking about, you know, um, just wisdom to navigate uh, through our cultural obstacles and, and becoming more Christ-like, you know, uh, you know, the transformation of just uh, the personal faith and characters, uh, just really, really amazing. You know, uh, as we go through the Beatitudes, um, I mean, it's it's true what he said. So, uh, you know, please, please go out and get the book. I mean, I was definitely encouraged. I'm always encouraged, guys, when we bring on these authors um and and their passion uh to just write and uh you know they they have these brains you know i don't have that for sure but um that was not god didn't give me that gift but man wow just to be able to uh write books to just encourage people it's just absolutely always amazing to me so please please go check him out on on, on his social media uh, and if you're ever in the Austin area, uh, please go check out City Life Church in Austin, Texas. Uh, I'm sure that uh, Pastor Jonathan Dotson will love to see you there. Uh, so if you're in the Austin area uh, and it's Sunday or, or anything like that, or if they have some stuff going on, you check out their website, you know, stop by there for sure. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, please don't forget to visit us on Facebook instagram twitter and youtube um yeah so just just amazing just like we always like to end the show what is your only comfort in life and in death that i am not my own but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful savior jesus christ till next week